WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grope. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is a longtime comics publicist and is about to release her own book, uh, Heavy Metal Headbang. Uh, Melissa Mazaros. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, we are recording this uh, on Valentine's Day. Is it uh, appropriate to wish you a happy Valentine's Day? Do you, did you have plans today besides being here? Absolutely. <laughs> I did. I had my Valentine's Day during the day. So I had some tacos with a friend of mine. Nice. <laughs> so that was my Valentine's Day. So thank you for spending Valentine's Day Eve with me. I hope that doesn't take away from what you would be doing. <laughs> Oh, no, we're good. Actually, I went out to lunch with my wife today. I uh, got some got some fun. It was a nice time. So Ooh, we do not celebrate. We do not celebrate Valentine's Day. My, ah, my wife it. worked in chocolates for many, many years. So Valentine's Day is something of a bete noir to those who work in the chocolate field. <laughs> Still is suffering from chocolate related PTSD all these years later. <laughs> Totally understandable. I thought you were going to say it's a near fabrication of the greeting card industry, which I would also accept. Oh, absolutely. But no, no. When you've spent nearly 24 hours drip doing nothing but dipping chocolate covered strawberries, it, it, it no, no. <laughs> Changes a person. <laughs> Cumbersome chocolate covered strawberries. Uh, you, you think it's yes. like that one episode of I Love Lucy and, and it just, you know, <laughs> it turns quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, usually we start by asking our first time guests about uh, the first comics they remember reading. But I'm actually a little bit uh, more curious. Uh, what was your first concert? My first concert was Sticks with Pat Benatar. Wow. Right on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't pick it. That was my dad's choice, but that's okay. It wasn't bad. No, that, that, that what is, about yours? Uh, oh, mine. Okay. I saw my first concert was Cake in 1998 at the TLA in Philly. I was a freshman in college. So was that, yeah, that was my first concert. And here I go showing my age and my general whatever. Uh, Weird Al. That awesome. rules. <laughs> yeah, right around the same time. I was in co early college. Uh, my brother, my mom got tickets for my brother and was like, well, do you want to go? I'm like, sure. So Weird Al. What what venue? Um, oh, hell. It was. God, I can't remember. It was so long ago. It was it was in Jersey. Okay. It was in Jersey. I'm gonna have to literally like wow. <laughs> I am showing my age and where my brain works. I can remember every freaking comic book I've ever read, but I cannot remember that fact. Oh, that, that's okay. That's okay. All good. All good. Uh, you know. It, even, okay, so that was your first concert. So what was the last concert? Yeah, welcome pandemic life. Yeah, I know. Twenty twenty two. I remember that. Crazy. Yeah. Um, whew. Shit. I uh, man, I want to say it was Ben Folds. It might have been. Okay, all right. I've got this. I've got this. It was twenty nineteen. It was Ben Folds with the Violent Femmes opening Asbury Park, uh, the Stone Pony outdoor stage. 
That's cool. Oh, I what was it because I, I don't I don't do concerts as much as live. Uh, mm-hmm. I work in live theater, so I go to see a lot of plays. Because it's been a while since I've been to a concert, but I had just seen uh, a holiday, a pantomime, a, a British, you know, the the a British pantomime version of Little Red Riding Hood that we did at my theater for the holiday show about a month before the dark times. Mm, okay, right in under the wire. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. We got one show in after a half of a show in no, one show in after that. And then we were a week into the next run when, woof, yeah, and we were able to at least record that show and sit, get a recording a a video out to all of the ticket buyers if they wanted it, and mm-hmm. we didn't have to refund you know everybody, right. Mm. Yeah. So um, that was actually one of the things that I was, I was, I was curious. You, you mentioned uh, your, your dad had taken you to Sticks and Pat Benatar, you know, how you sort of came by your, your musical taste, you know, was it from your parents or, or, you know. I would actually say it's a combination of my father and my grandfather. Um, okay. My grandfather listened to a lot of old country uh, like Johnny Cash and um classic like i guess it would be considered classic country maybe i don't know i don't know what that's considered a lot of mariachi music too um and my Mm. my dad was a huge pink floyd fan but he always had so many records and so many cds he actually had a room in our house designated to listening to music it just had a couch and a serious stereo and nothing else so he would lock himself in there for hours and I would hear it coming from the basement because that my room was right above it. So <laughs> I was like <laughs> sleep listening to Pink Floyd, basically. Uh, that that is a good way to subliminally get your child into music, right? Right. <laughs> totally. You just wake up in the morning. You're like, I don't know why, but I really want to listen to the Division Bell right now. <laughs> no it's like oh man i really don't know why but i'm gonna get stoned <laughs> like, <laughs> like i'm feeling fine but why do i feel the need to eat my meat before i have any pudding <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, i always wondered it's like what kind of pudding was it bread pudding figgy pudding I always thought it was like uh, chocolate pudding, maybe. Like, what? Are, what's the tubs that you get at the supermarket? The big ones. Yeah, the cozy oh, shack. The cozy shack. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, well, I mean, in that case, if it's me, I'm going. I'm going with the rice pudding with the raisins in it. That that would be, you know. But also, I I would eat all my meat first. So I'm, mean, you know, there's no question. I'm getting that pudding. <laughs> Or probably not blood pudding. No, spotted dick pudding because they are British. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never seen it in real life. I've only like seen it in a can, so I don't really know what it looks like. I've just recently like come across a bunch of people from the UK because the book was being published in the UK. I know more people. I like on a daily basis now that are living in the United Kingdom, and I am just so interested in their fare. So maybe I should start asking these questions totally off the chain. Sorry. I went, see, but you said tangents were okay. I, I, can... I, I, I did. And there is, there hasn't been a time yet 
knock on wood, where I've come to regret that. We are off to a great start. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw if we're gonna go, I just I will comment. I saw the weirdest thing. Speaking of um, UK, you know that area of food, mm-hmm. it was it was mashed potatoes, and it was like a squid. It was like a jellied squid parsley green sauce i forget what it was called but this is a common sort of dish for shtetl people okay okay so but it's like considered diner food for them it's really gonna irk me that i can't remember what it's called so if anybody has a google machine please let me know (laughs) uh certainly uh now i when you're when you're writing, you know whether whether it's it's you know working on the book that we're going to talk about or or you know uh, throwing you know press releases together, uh, you know, do you have a, a playlist for for writing? It really depends on my mood. Um, if I am writing prose, for the most part, I'm listening to a song on a loop. Okay. When it comes to drafting a press release, it's just kind of playing as it's playing whatever mm. itunes or amazon wants to play is what i get but it usually stays in the same vein um right now i'm like on the biggest mother love bone kick that i cannot shake Ooh, okay nice yeah it's like non-stop my friends are super annoyed they're like not this record again not this fucking <laughs> record again and then we go out to 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 the pub or whatever and i'll play it on the jukebox and they get even more annoyed it's like can you just pick something else please and i'm like no it's, it's like the only thing i want to hear right now <laughs> all i want are those proto seattle deep cuts that is me in a nutshell like literally where i live i am in the trifecta of kurt cobain's life and death situation Mm. (laughs) i'm not laughing at his death i'm just stating the truth yeah Mm. so now i'm going to tangent within the tangent I, i i just my wife was watching on uh peacock it was it was called soaked in bleach. And so it was, it was like, it was a true crime show about, about Kurt Cobain's death, but it it was like half dramatization. And I got pulled out of it because it follows this, this PI and they cut to interviews with the PI, but then in the dramatizations, they cast him as Matt, are you familiar with character actor, Dan Roebuck? The name's familiar. Yeah. He's he's been in shit. The the thing that I, and and the funniest thing is the thing I keep associating with him. He wasn't even in, but uh, apparently he was up for the role of Daniel Stern's character in home alone. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Cause you watched the movies that made us. Yeah. So (laughs) I appreciate that random tidbit of information. I, my, my life is very fulfilled right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. Continue. Go ahead. This is very interesting. I know that. I mean, that's as good as. I mean, he's. They, they just keep cutting these scenes of him talking to uh, a strung out, uh, half dressed Courtney Love, and all. I'm, I'm just like, that's that's noted character, working character actor Dan Robach. What's he doing? That that's it. <laughs> but yeah, um, I know you primarily from from sending me press releases over the past like seven years that I've been doing, you know, comics press, but you know, now you're out here, you're promoting your own book, uh, heavy metal headbang, uh, for the listeners, I'm going to go ahead and read the blurb at the back. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Melissa Mazaros is on her way to a Judas priest concert. When the accident happens, the traumatic brain injury she sustains changes everything. Her life is turned upside down. Her steady job as a publicist and trusted friends and colleagues are called into question. Even her own reflection staring back at her from the mirror seems alien. 
as she navigates the legal and medical battles before her, Melissa also begins to ch challenge her own fractured self. Uh, so this book, it, you know, it deals with the accident, deals with, with, the, with the, the TBI, uh, it deals with a lot of other stuff. Um, I'm not, you know, looking to give it all, all the way for the readers, but, uh, you know, it, it, it bounces back and forth in time between events. Um, when, at what point had you decided that you wanted to get, you know, your story, all of this down on paper? It was actually an exercise in memory mapping that one of my therapists told me because um, I was having, I had disassociated really far um, and I didn't even know that was a thing. So after my head injury, I was listening to music one day and I'm walking down the street to pick up my library reserves and a song kicks on. And I was, a, it was an out-of-body experience where I was 15 years old again when I was 30, I was actually 35. I cannot profess how terrifying that was. Um, and I had to go see a psychotherapist and they explained to me that when you're suffering X amount of trauma in your brain, it basically yields to protect itself. And that's the moment that I, I asked him, I said, am I going to have to go through every single traumatic thing that has ever happened to me? He said, probably. And it's not going to come to you when you expect it. Mm -hmm. um, so I started using music as kind of a way to navigate that, uh, to get a lot of my memories back because I was really, really brain broke. I, I think that I would like to think I did a spectacular job of hiding it from the comics industry. I don't know if I did. I would like to know if that came across or not. And please don't lie to me. I can, <laughs> I can, no, I'm not going to use that line. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I, I mean, speaking, uh, speaking personally, I, I mean, I knew that it happened, but beyond that, you know, I don't think it came across in, in, in any communications I received from you. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> that was my biggest concern of all. I think that I really, I always tried to put my job and my professionalism before everything else that um, I didn't want people to know the extent of the damage that had happened. I know that there was a press release sent on my behalf um, explaining the situation somewhat to press uh, back in 2018, but I don't even remember reading that. Um, yeah, very, very just odd time, odd time because I was working like seven days a week because I couldn't stay awake long enough to get a 40 hour work weekend. So... <laughs> Tried to hide it, but getting back to, let's talk about something later, even though this whole book was actually, I think it, they call it um, misery literature <laughs> over in the UK. <laughs> Sorry, it makes me laugh. Um, I no, digress. That's okay. Please, please do digress. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting sort of mapping the, the timeline of events uh, just because like I was thinking about there's a, there's a, part where you mentioned this is this is earlier in not not in the book but I, I guess in your career and and it just mentions like doing the press release for like when Dark Horse announced the uh the Mystery Science Theater 3000 book and like that was a thing in my head I was like oh god that was you mm -hmm. <laughs> that press that press release yeah I, you know like I I'd, I'd forgotten you were you were a Dark Horse that's how long ago that it was but uh yeah no that's you know, it, it's, it's, well, it, it's interesting when you have that sort of like, this is how, how you know a person, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about MST3K is that I had worked with MST3K, um, not Joel, but um, Trace uh, mainly because they were doing like a live reading in Seattle. So I was doing their PR. So when Dark Horse got the license to do the comic, I was talking to the VP of publishing who was in control of the editorial for that, Mm -hmm. um, Randy Stradley. And he was trying to like make it like a live adventure and I don't actually know what they ended up doing with it. And I said, why don't you recycle old Dark Horse comics and have them riff on it? <laughs> I don't even know if they ended up doing that. But I was just like, always like trying to get my ideas. I was like, this would do so much better in the market. Just saying. That's so crazy. That was, was that Cinematic Titanic? When they cinematic. were out? Well, because that was what the, the, some of the MSC3K groups, I trace was one of them toured with under that name doing the riffing. No, they were still under MST3K. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This was in 20, 2016, I believe. Okay. Okay. I just think they might have reclaimed the name. Because I just, I know they, they toured in the early 20 teens. It was Trace and. Trace and Frank. Frank and uh, a couple of the others. I can't remember off the top of my head. And they would tour it in their cinematic. In the, it was kind of the, the riff track cinematic Titanic. It was one or the other. And when they, at least when they were on the East Coast, because they stopped at Princeton a few times under cinematic Titanic, where I was mm-hmm. at their, I worked at their pack. So. Mm. Yeah, it, it, I'm seeing it as like the, they just said the Mads are back, but they use Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hmm. So, Yeah. Very nice guys. Very nice guys. I, oh, yeah. I was very happy to work with them. Yeah, they were some of the easier produced, uh, presented events we did at the theater. They, there was never any complaints from anybody on the back end with, with when they came by. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, Matt, I never thought about that. I'm, I, like, I bet you've got like hot goss about like who's an asshole in the theater world. Oh, oh, oh the, my gosh. The, the theater world. I mean, and you got to think the where I worked, it was not just act. It was not not just you know the theater, but we did jazz, we did classical, we did world music, and we did all sorts of like presented spoken word. You know, people coming and doing readings. So there were all sorts of people who were were a real nightmare, and then there were people who were absolutely charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Sedaris, very easy. David Sedaris would come. He'd want to walk up into Princeton and get a coffee and he'd take care of himself. Ben Vereen was just the most charming guy. He did a play with us and wow, he, he, he once, you know, was walking out and I offered him one of the homemade cookies, Amber made, and he, my wife, and he, he said it was a wonderful cookie to tell your wife, thank you. So he was very nice. I won't tell him about any of the bad ones because that That's would be fair. speaking out of school. But I will say some of those were the very those were a couple of the very nice examples. B.D. Wong, also a very nice gentleman. Very cool. Very cool. So um, what in uh, what inspired you to go nonlinear with the book? Uh, it was basically the only thing that I knew how to do because I had studied it in my master's program. Hmm, it okay. I studied it and I was never, ever able to apply it because with writing press releases, everything is very thorough and succinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is very linear in the way that you arrange it. Um, and with this nonlinear narrative, because I was jotting these notes down and they were all jotted on my phone when something sparked, 
as I saw a pattern emerging, um, I was able to thread a lot of these vignettes through as I was doing this simultaneous recovery. So when I, I also like dealt a lot with um, having to, you know, I had a lot of issues with anxiety and depression with dealing with the case. And I started using that as a through line basically to weave all these pieces together. Okay. So I'm like saying this is happening here and now it's really stressing me out. Maybe if I turn into a story, I'll be able to synthesize it better on top of getting these memories together. So that way it kind of works very fluidly in between, you know, back and forth time in that nonlinear fashion, because that's actually the way that my brain was really working in real time. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, certainly. <laughs> it's really convoluted and weird. Uh, did, how, how long did it take for the book to, to find a home, you know, a publisher? Wow. Surprisingly, um, I don't really think it was too long, to be honest. Uh, I think I had pitched it maybe to four publishers total mm -hmm. and head press. I mean, I thought it was the perfect fit because it's head press. You know, <laughs> Actually it wasn't even named heavy metal headbag at first. Mm. Um, it was, it was named third everything. And they liked the premise so much that they said, you know, we, we want to publish this. We don't know how it fits into what we're publishing now, but we really want to do this. So they created a whole umbrella um, for like this book to get started in this whole new genre of books that they want to start publishing, which is true life memoirs and how, and how it works in terms of pop culture, which I think is amazing. And if you've ever seen any of their titles, I don't know, to me, it's like pulp and I love pulp. I love horror. Mm -hmm. And I think that really ties into the metal scene a great deal. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, that was like a no brainer for me, huh? Pun intended. Um, when, when they, when they were just like, yeah, we want to do this. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. And then that's when they came out with oil and water. Ah, so this okay. is the debut title for the publisher. Very nice. Okay. For the imprint. Yeah. yeah. Launch title. Very cool. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure, but I think <laughs> the turnaround time between the time I submitted it to them, I think I submitted it to them in February and they came back by May to accept it. Um, so yeah, and I don't think, I think that I might've started pitching it in the slow season. So probably like December, I'd send it to a couple of publishers. So I, I mean, it's, it's so niche because when you're focused on pop culture for one and you're telling a true life story at the same time and you're not famous, <laughs> we're like, what the hell do I do with this? So. I don't know. I feel really gracious. And the funny thing, the buzz, the buzzword lately is humble. <laughs> I'm so humble. Let me boast <laughs> about my book some more. Oh, the irony. Um, yeah. And I know that's not really typical um, for people to get things picked up that quickly. Mm -hmm. I know that for very, very certain because like we work in comics and I, seen people that you know they say i pitched this to every single publisher under the sun sans marvel and dc mm -hmm. and i said whatever you do keep your rejection letters because when you come up with something that they want you can just send them back return to sender their rejection letter <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah 
have you ever have you ever actually had anyone do that? Send their send a past rejection letter back to a publisher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's hot. That's great. Some people, some people would draw on them with crayons. I've seen. Uh, there, there were there were people that would. There was one person that we used to get mail at Dark Horse. I remember this very clearly. And this person would submit their uh, portfolio as crayons on paper, and it wasn't a child. This was an adult, and they would just keep coming to the office and coming to the office. Um, it was crazy, like working there, because there were so many fanboys that would like come into downtown Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And just like hang out <laughs> dark horse <laughs> that we had to like actually. I remember they put uh, security systems on the doors so <laughs> you couldn't just walk in anymore, as apparently people like to do at times. Huh. So. That takes some something. Yeah, <laughs> I, a bunch of Hellboy heads with way too much time hoping Mignola is going to drop by, I guess. <laughs> yeah, which we never saw Mike Mignola ever. I, I don't even think I ever saw him come into the office once. A lot of creators that um, did come in were local to Portland, but yeah. Um, but it was very rare that it was somebody like uber famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, there was like little things here and there. Oh, Paul Rubens around or whatever. Cause he was friends with, with Mike Richardson. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really tight for a long time and yeah, I have stories but uh, I have to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Or yes. Uh, ch- or, and also change the names to protect the, uh, protect the guilty and so on. Um. Yeah. I was able to talk a lot of shit in the book as long as I use monikers. And yes. I don't even think that I get, I didn't really like have the intention of giving anybody a real name, but I, I regret, there's one thing that I regret. Um, and this is just what happened organically. Like I didn't even think about the worst PR moments that I've ever had to deal with, especially in film, because that was the biggest nightmare of my life. Mm. Uh, there was an incident that I really wanted to write about, about this woman. And I will, I will say this because I'm still pissed off about it to this day. And this was like so many years ago. And she shows up at a, a opening night gala for Paul Feig. You know who hey. Paul Feig is. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so she shows up at this gala. She's wearing this gorgeous, like sequin gown. She was walking down the red carpet. She had, she said, I have my own photographer. Can I put them on the press line? I said, sure. That's not a problem. Take some promo photos. No big deal. Well, this bitch, let me tell you, shows up at her own red carpet the next day wearing the same dress. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to check Twitter. This is going to be bad. She was trying to pass Paul Feig's opening night gala premiere off as her dinky little documentary by wearing a goddamn dress. I was so mad. <laughs> so I called the diaphanous dress incident. And um, I really wanted to put that in the book, but there was no room for it. There uh-huh. was nowhere to even go back and say, cause it was so cohesive at that point. I was like, I, if I drop this in here now, I'm just going to sound like I'm complaining. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I did touch on salad sandwich, which I know uh, people have asked me, they're like, is it this person? Is it that person? And I was like, okay, as long as I'm not being recorded, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But it is, it is a, a, a cult uh, filmmaker in, in the horror scene. So very well-known person, the little bastard he was. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> Bless his heart. I'm sure he's doing very well. And I, this is why I laugh when people say, oh, you're, the nicest publicist and i'm like actually i can be a huge bitch if i don't like you <laughs> there's there 
you know, depending on, on, on how this book does, maybe the, the, the follow-up is just a whole bunch of blind items where you kind of <laughs> spill some of the tea, you know, again, without naming names, because obviously, but, uh, you know, but mm-hmm. we- we- weaponize that shit to a certain <laughs> degree. Well, yeah. And, and just as, just as back, you know, just adding to that, I've been dropping breadcrumbs here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on just on social media, I drop breadcrumbs and I'm like, well, I didn't say it, but here's a breadcrumb and they can put two and two together and do a little research. I actually had a journalist tell me that he went through my, he exhausted my Twitter feed. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, are you trying to dig up dirt? Like, I don't think I have any dirt. Like I laid it all out there, but okay. Okay. All you had to do was ask. Weirded me out. Just a skosh. Just a skosh. Yeah, because now you know there's a yarn board somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, sorry. I did. I really can go on tirades uh, if you let me because I don't talk to anybody or see anybody except for comics people in in the four walls of my apartment 98% of the time. So again, we accept all rants, tirades, and tangents. just just no bitcoin my, my my wallet's not set up to accept that yet but no no nfts no blockchain technology correct mm-hmm. <laughs> so while you were, were writing or or while your your you know manuscript was being looked over you know was there a, a key piece of advice that you received from an editor or a sounding board person uh you know while you were working on this that, that, that sticks out to you a uh, key piece, like how, like, this is what you need to fix. You're really messed up. Don't do this. No, well, no, 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 not, not admonishment, you know, just any sort of, of advice or suggestions, you know, things that hadn't occurred to you before something like that. Um, absolutely. There were things they, they really wanted to me. They wanted me to divulge a lot more. Um, Because I work with two editors and a proofreader, and I didn't even give you the final proof. (laughs) I didn't give you the print proof. That was the preview print proof. So there were a couple typos in there that drove me nuts. And the nice thing when I went ahead and did the audiobook, I was able to cut some parts out where people didn't deserve niceness. So just that's the unabridged version. Um, So they, yeah, they they told me, you know, go back and talk more about these relationships that you've had with people, and -hmm. don't be afraid to get emotional about it I was like well, I don't want to talk about my exes I don't mm-hmm. it's not important to me and I go oh, but it's integral to the story because you have to be a human <laughs> I'm, I sound inhumane apparently um, so I had gone back and I had included a lot of stuff that I didn't want to include before because I really felt that this was such a personal story um, and in, in so many different ways that I told a lot about myself that I didn't want anybody to get hurt by the things that I said. So I really left it to the reader's discretion um, about the person that they were, because that's the whole theme of the book. It's about being judged. It's about first impressions. It's about um, just the, the general idea that one person can think one thing about a person, but this is the reality of it. This is just my perspective of the situation. So in totality, yes, that is, that is what I had to deal with. I had to go back and I had to 
tell a little bit more about my relationships and why I felt the way I felt about them and give them a little bit of sense of humanity. You just mentioned the audiobook. Uh, are you reading the audiobook? Do you know who's reading the audiobook? I read the audiobook. I actually, going back to my grunge obsession, I recorded at the old Reciprocal Studios where all of the early sub pop records were recorded. Cool. I, I was hell bent. I said, you know what, if I have to do all of this stuff for a book, I'm just going to have a field day. So I'm going to record the book myself. Um, I'm going to do it at the studio that I want to do it. I'm going to have the book opening at the, at the shop that I want. And I'm like, I'm really just going to ride the milk on this, <laughs> you know, and I'm not interested in success. I know that sounds really stupid because when people say to me, aren't you excited to make money off of your work? I'm like, people make money off of writing. What world are you living in? Oh, we work in comics. That's- <laughs> we work in comics. Exactly. Um, but no, it's so crazy to me that I would love to see a review on this personally. I would love to see a bad review. No, actually, no, I don't want to see a bad review. <laughs> and I think that my saving grace is that, hey, if somebody's going to write a bad review about somebody with a brain injury, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> 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 That's how I feel. It's like, oh, you don't you don't damn the lame, you know, <laughs> Um Getting back to a point, yeah, I'm just like kind of carrying through. I don't want to be famous. I don't want this to be anything. But even in its stages of not even being published yet, the response I've gotten, and there's a lot of things I haven't gone public about Mm -hmm. that I have been approached about. Mm -hmm. And I had the strangest conversation yesterday morning on a Sunday of all things. Um, And I had to sit with it because it gave me such chronic anxiety. Um, And it was an effect of the book. Uh, And it wasn't anything bad. It was just kind of like, okay, so this is an option for things. And this is how things are going to go. Because that piece in the newspaper, the British newspaper went out and I had no idea how largely circulated that paper was. Mm -hmm. I had no idea um, how big that spread was going to be. I had no idea that the, this journalist had so much clout. <laughs> like, oh man, I just like did that interview sitting in my car, <laughs> literally. <laughs> like, I didn't think anything of it, but just like I said, the stuff that's it's leading to without even being out is very frightening. It scares the fuck out of me. Not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. So, I, I I mean, you know, I, I again, and and had. Had everything that was in the book been, had you been public about that stuff before? Had I been public in regards to um, the anecdotes or just the, the injury itself or the litigation process? Um, no. I, yeah, I knew about the accident, put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a couple other events in the book that are also tragic, you know was that stuff that had been out there in the world? I mean, not, not so much. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I would say that my friends knew about it. Um, my family knew about it. I actually, there's some things in there that my family did not know about. And that's why I said, never read anything I write. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And my friends are so like, they're, they're like, I don't need to read the book. <laughs> like, I know you. <laughs> um, they'll listen to the audiobook because it doesn't take anything away 
from, you know, they can just do whatever and listen to it. Um, But no, I I think, well, the the crazy thing is, is that with this, um, with the process of going through the legal side of the MBA, Mm -hmm. I had to keep a lot of things private. Um, There were a lot of, I wasn't allowed to talk about the case at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't allowed to text about the case, like even like text my friends. Mm. It felt really like private eye and very scary. And there were private eyes allegedly like following me to make sure that I actually had a head injury, which I don't even know how you would gauge that because it's an invisible wound. Yeah. Um, That, you know, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't like functioning at normal capacity, which has actually made my anxiety even larger. And that is a huge reason why I moved to the woods uh, because I become so paranoid. And I'd become so afraid and it heightened all the anxiety that was already pre-existing on top of like not really having the capacity to heal um, when you're living in a city and there's a lot of like cacophonous energy and sounds and movements and all that other stuff. Um, Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that about me Mm -hmm. in, in that regard. No. And I don't think that they knew, you know, where there's like a, that huge turning point at the end of the book. Um, nobody knew about that. Not even my closest friends. That was something that was, I kept very, very close to my chest. Yeah. Uh, Cause I didn't want anybody. It's going back to the whole thing that I didn't want anybody to know how hurt I was and how much I was struggling because I had to be the champion for other people. So if, mm-hmm. because I had to do that, I really put myself through the ringer in, in beating myself up. Super dour. I apologize. No, that's, that's okay. I, you know, I mean, that is, that is what the book's about. Uh, have you had, have you had a lot of people like sharing their own brain injury stories with you since, you know, they, found out you were working on this book or that the book was coming out? Yes. Um, I, not a lot though. I, the crazy thing is that more people have responded to other parts of it. And they mm-hmm. said, this book is not just about a head injury. It's about a number of things. And I, there are things that you said that, you know, really resonate with me. And I, the biggest theme of all seems to be alienation. Um, you know, growing up, and feeling ostracized and feeling different and coping with being different and what you lean on to feel better and the groups and the people and the entertainment that you surround yourself with, you know, that's a common ground for a lot of people. Um, this morning, I, I just talked to a woman who also had a head injury. Actually. Yeah. I talked to a woman who had a head injury this morning. Hers was very, she had a very interesting story where she told me that she would look at a microwave and she couldn't figure out how it worked. Mm -hmm. Uh, little things like that. And I didn't even know Damien Eccles from the West Memphis three who blurbed the book, which was as a lark. I didn't have any connection there. I <laughs> simply just asked and he obliged. Wow. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, I didn't know he had a head injury. I didn't know until he tweeted about it, that he had a head injury. I thought it was interesting because the angle that I was coming from with him and I, I presented this to him and I said, I feel like you and I have a lot to say about the legal system and being looked at differently and being wrongfully accused of things, because Mm -hmm. that's the thing with this whole case is that even though I was a victim, they made me look like a perpetrator. They tried really, really hard to turn everything on its head, which makes it even worse that, you know, and that's why I reached out to Damien. I also 
have done a little bit of support through people on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I do check the hashtags and, um, you know, I've talked to people about how they sustain their injuries and what went wrong with them because no two brain injuries are ever like, it's crazy mm-hmm. what you learn and people have different coping mechanisms. They have different issues because you have to think about pre-existing issues that are already there. Um, and what's exacerbated from a head injury, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, even like getting different parts of the head, whatever, you know, if you're in a coma, it changes the whole discourse of everything. Um, but it's really fascinating, but also really sad. But the nice thing is, uh, neuroelasticity where like I did with music, the brain can rewire itself. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be at full capacity. Um, you do lose quite a few years off your life, depending on the location. And like I said, uh, pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, however, yeah, I mean, it does relink itself in its own way and its own time and it picks and chooses how it's going to do it. But the exhaustion from it is real. That is the one commonality across the board. Mm-hmm. Being able to write all this down, uh, you know, was it a cathartic experience? Yes, mainly, and I, I hadn't intended, like I said, I hadn't intended it for it to be a book. It was just mm-hmm. vignettes. And a lot of these vignettes were pulled from other pieces of writing as well. Like just me revisiting once the ideas came back of like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I remember this. Let me write about this. And then I would go back. I still had journals at the time. <laughs> I would try and go through them, but none of them made sense to me. So I would pull from, these memories by listening to music, I would go through my journals. I would go through like old pieces of writing that I had. And I like try and make a cohesive uh, story that I could remember. And this was the, to the best of my ability that I could do it. Um, But I really attribute all of that to music, all of it, absolutely all of it. Um, And when it did come together, I saw the larger scope and meaning of, the story and my life in its totality, which I think pre-head injury, I did not even know what I was doing. And I had the wrong intentions of doing what I was doing. But when this happened, it changed the whole trajectory of where my allegiance was and what I believed in. And that comes down to the passion of comics creators for me. And I really, I really want to be that advocate because I know that it's not one of those things that makes you a crap ton of money. And like, you really have to have passion to do it because it takes a really long time to do mm-hmm. no matter if you're writing it, no matter if you're drawing it, if you're doing both, if you're doing lettering, I had a comics creator tell me to hand letter a comic. It takes over three to four hours just to do the lettering on a single page. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you have to love it and you have to respect that dedication. You know, it's not like some, some dork who like walks into a production studio and he decides that, you know, he can drop, you know, 8 million on a low budget feature, if that's such a thing. (laughs) (laughs) And and also like working in music where you're dealing with these ungrateful drunken idiots that can't even make it to like the show on time. So, oh when you put it in that kind of perspective Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about 
the nonlinear side and what prompted me to get into PR anyway, and what is my passion and my reason and why, how was it I was able to work on autopilot? It was like the only thing that stuck really doing PR was it. That's all I knew. Um, for one, it was like a survival skill. And two, it was just so far innate. Um, yeah. But when I saw all these components come together, I was like, wow. Okay. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly where I'm going. And I think that finishing this book has in, in the grand scheme, um, put me back together in a lot of different ways. And I'm very appreciative of that, but it was my own process and it took a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, you know, and and that's good to hear that, you know, had that restorative effect. It's also good to hear that, uh, based on what I'm hearing, uh, comics people cooler than film and music people. Uh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, you mentioned in the book, uh, you know, listening to a lot of audiobooks early in, in your recovery process, obviously you're doing one for, uh, you know, for, for this book. Um, you know, one thing I remember my, um, my mom had an aneurysm when she was 50, uh, about 20 years ago. And she became, she got like hardcore into audiobooks while she was, uh, you know, re- recovering, um, took a while there, but, uh, the only reason, like, you know, you know, you know, a star series outlander. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The, the, she got like hardcore into that when she was recovering. And so when she found out that was going to be a TV show, uh, you know, made, made her day. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry to hear that. I she's mean, on she, the men. Oh yeah. Right? No, she's I mean, she, now, yeah, yeah. Abso- absolutely. You know, I mean, it was, it, it was definitely a, a months long recovery process. And there were certain things that, you know, she couldn't do right away. Uh, family had to give up a dog uh, at the time because my sister was away at college and my mom couldn't take care of, uh, of it. But uh, you know, uh, certainly, <laughs> you know, she's got some short-term memory loss, but otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. recovered. Yeah. And listening to audiobooks, the whole reason why, I mean, it helps you to follow things and that, that is absolutely impossible when you have an onset injury like that. Um, with listening to music, I actually couldn't listen to music for a long time. Mm -hmm. One, I had blood congealed in my eardrum. Mm -hmm. So it was like having like a conch shell to your head. So it was a constant whirring. And I just couldn't really get anything through on top of which when I would try to listen to music, my brain could only hear each instrument individually mm-hmm. or the lyrics. It, it could not. And it just sounded like a mess, like the most cohesive orchestral <laughs> sensation would sound like a pile of garbage. Mm-hmm. So I did. I tuned into audiobooks because I said, I need to be listening to something. I need to be hearing something. I need to be heeding something. If, if you're not, if you're not working your brain, you're not going to rewire. And that's Mm -hmm. the whole goal, all the therapies that they put you through and, 
they give you homework. Um, you know, my eyes were misaligned and I remember having to stare at like a string of beads and it was like, I won the day when I can just see one bead instead of two, uh, just little things like that. And it does, it happens so slowly over years and it's still happening now, which is mm -hmm. crazy. Like I will still get like last night I got really overwhelmed because, uh, I heard the church under the Milky way. I just got really overwhelmed and I just had to tap into that. And I'm like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. What, what's, what is this doing? And why is this doing? So I, I'm still going through it. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I'm still tired a lot. I can't, I go to a convention and I'm laid up for a month and a half. No joke. So. How yeah. is, how is the interview process for you? Like, you know, I, I'm sitting here, obviously I've got my list of questions and I'm, I, and, I, and I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about what the book is about, but I'm also trying to be, you know, respectful and not delve into, you know, misery tourism or anything like that. I don't, you know, but like, what, it, I, I guess, how is it for you kind of going through all this stuff, especially now, you know, for, for years, you were the person setting up interviews for other people. Now you're kind of going through this yourself. Yeah. It's weird. I just kind of want to go. I know it's going to sound really uh, trite, but I really want to get back to my life. Mm -hmm. um, I like being everybody else's champion. It's really awkward to be my own. Mm -hmm. um, and people say to me, well, why did you write this book if you didn't, or why you just, why did you decide to publish it basically? And I said, well, I think it helps people to, I would know, like, I would have loved to have a book like this when I was going through all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. That was my reason for doing it and sharing it. And it's very personal, but PR is my first love. Supporting people means so much to me and nurturing their creativity. And for me to be on the other side of it, I'm thinking of it in terms of what can I do better in my job by having this experience? Mm -hmm. um, like simple things like NetGalley and getting all these other book lists and putting your name here and checking this here and making sure that you're setting stuff up at this time, um, doing cheat sheets. Uh, so when, you know, if they're getting prepared for an interview or you're talking to a journalist, they can ask other questions outside of the book if they didn't read, you know, the whole arc or something. Um, and they, that way it's not just about comics, but it's more interpersonal. And this is the stuff that I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this for the book. I get that. But in the larger scheme of things, what it comes down to is that I am learning, I'm getting learning tools. So my future clients can have that advantage as well. So, so just as a, a general PR question and to, to steer into something that's a little less personal, just more about PR as you're talking about things you've picked up. I was just curious about uh, social media and publicity, because there's there's one passage towards the middle of the book when you were working with bands, and you mentioned MySpace, and <laughs> I felt the gray in my hair creep up another quarter of an inch when I thought about MySpace. Matt, uh, once again, bragging about having hair. <laughs> uh, it, it's less and less every day, but I, I, for those of you, I, I'm, I'm full Reed Richards at this point with the, the, the Grey Temples. Uh, but it made me, you know, remember that, you know, when MySpace was a thing, that was when there was, you know, one major social media platform. And, you know, the previous one would disappear or be 
pretty much subsumed. Friendster became MySpace, became Facebook. But now there's all these different platforms. How useful is social media at this point with there being so many different venues? It really depends on what the goals are. Um, Twitter is the life the, of comics. It's just, it really is. It's the community. It's the touchstone of the community. And that's what I continue to tell people. Facebook is for when you have events and nobody shows up. Um, and, you know, if your grandma wants to talk to somebody else's grandma, uh, Instagram is to be inundated with ads that, until you completely, you know, submit and and just buy the damn thing eventually and also like also pretend that your life is really great in comparison to people you went to high school with um <laughs> this is just my personal opinion tiktok is for fucking losers okay thank you very much i'm just gonna go there and whoever is doing that audio readover voice they can go to hell <laughs> i really hate it i feel like it's a trigger for me almost whenever i hear that voice um, but as it pertains to PR, I tell people social media and PR are two different effects. However, depending on what your goals and trajectory are, um, they can be crossed successfully. Uh, but I wouldn't leave it to a, uh, publicist to do, uh, all of your social media, but just to know PR well enough. And to, especially if you have a brand Bible and you can pick up the verbiage and then translate that to like, I think of it as a mini press release, which is just like 40 characters or whatever. Um, I've heard this thing recently about uh, people over 30 having mentors under 30. This is bananas. So like, this is like, something like, I've been looking into. Teach me how to TikTok young, per young person, basically? Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Because the technology is changing so quickly that you should be relying on younger people to show you how to utilize it. Okay. Because they know better than anybody else. Is that but scary or what? <laughs> yeah, but they also can't, don't know how to physically write a check. So there's balance. But but that but then they don't need to. Like my wife yells at me because I still pay my bills via check instead of just setting up uh I do too. check and and uh over the phone. I will make payments over the phone. I don't know what it is about auto pay that I, weirds me out. I, I don't trust auto pay because I've heard too many horror stories of people who cancel a service and then and it keeps getting charged. I don't trust auto pay. I mailed two checks this morning for the, the one of the local water and one of the local sewer because they charge you extra if you pay it online. It's like $1.95 each, but screw <laughs> that. I'm not giving them extra money. Wait, they uh, say they charge you more if you pay online? Convenience fee. But, but usually no, the they, goal, they, mm -hmm. they, it's like save a stamp, they say. like No, it's the stamp is cheaper than the convenience fee, so I mail them because screw that. <laughs> Well, they huh. have the ACH payments now. So it's like you can choose an HCH payment over using a debit or credit card. Like even with like paying my rent, they're like, do you want to use a debit card? And we'll charge you 3%. And I'm like, but it's the same account. So you're telling me I have to use the ACH payment, which it's linked to the same account. I don't understand why you're going to charge me if I just make a faster, more convenient way to do it by giving you my card number. 
But you know what it is. It. We we need younger people to explain all of this to us. That's that's what it <laughs> yeah. is. We've, we've cracked it. <laughs> Absolutely. In the, in the same way our parents have leaned on us for tech support over the years. Yeah. Oh my God. There was a category on Jeopardy last week for the college tournament that was your parents' music. And I was just by halfway through this, Amber and I are both just like, no, 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 no. Oh, oh God, Matt, I, I, stop me, but um, please give me an example. Grunge. Motherfucker. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. It all comes full circle. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll have plenty of time to put on Mother Love Boat and cry before we go to bed. <laughs> Don't talk about my future plans. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I did, I did want to ask. Uh, I, I, I was looking back at I had done an interview with you in uh, I think it was like February 2020, right when you had had, had started uh, Don't Hide your PR firm. And uh, it, mm-hmm. it occurs to me, it's one of those, those those interviews that took place, you know, one month before a global pandemic. Um, how did the, you know, we've talked a lot about the personal, but the sort of global events of the last two years, ha- did it have any, you know, make your job harder, easier, or, or indifferent? I would actually say um, it made it somewhat indifferent because conventions were being canceled. uh, People still needed support. And Mm -hmm. and I worked a lot of extra hours doing free PR for people just to help them out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really didn't change the discourse of the catalogs that were already going until Diamond threw down and decided to shut off the printer without telling anybody as they do. Yep. Um, and just they're, they're like shutting down operations and not sending anybody a letter and letting them know, just like, boom, just bomb. And I remember I tweeted something about it. <laughs> like, am I going to get in trouble? Uh, I sometimes worry. And I, that happened with the Keanu Reeves boom thing too i was like oh, i'm gonna get in trouble for this it's like i need to <laughs> shut up sometimes it's just like what takes off is so funny to me but no um i don't i don't and the crazy thing is people are like oh you know has the the pandemic changed the, the way that you've lived your life you know like everybody else and i'm like oh hell no i was prepped for that i was i've been in living in solitary confinement for like a year and a half to two years that that was nothing i couldn't even tell the difference Mm-hmm. Didn't even know the difference. And uh, yeah, like with helping other people out, that was my goal and watching conventions get shut down, but it also opened doors to where a lot of the conventions were going online and they needed extra support. Mm-hmm. So I was hired by online conventions and they would do like personal video meet and greets with celebrities. So I did like uh, work with Tim Curry and oh, a bunch of William Shatner I got to do a lot of cool stuff like with huge celebrities at that point. And I, it was crazy. Like, cause I did comics, but because it was a comic convention, but it still had that celebrity aspect to it. They deemed me the person to hire on for it. Mm. Super rad, super rad. That is uh, that is excellent. Uh, have you, since conventions have started again, have you been back on, on that circuit at all? 
I went to New York um, in October mm-hmm. and to me, it just felt like an oversized flea market. Um, mm. And I was glad to see that uh, a lot of the entertainment stuff had moved away and Artist Alley was booming. They did great. Good. Um, uh, yeah. So it was really awkward and weird. And that had been the first convention I'd gone to. Mm-hmm. Uh, since San Diego in 2018. And I shouldn't even have gone to San Diego. I know that now um, because I was not functional. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was absolutely non-functional. But New York, yeah, like I said, I went to New York, did that for three days, and I was dealing with vertigo and fatigue all the way up until early January. No joke. Oh, wow. That's how long it lasted. Yeah. So like I said, like when I I can plateau and be fine, but all that stimulus having to run around and talk to press and talk to new clients and talk to former clients. And it really does exacerbate all those kind of uh, hidden brain injury effects. So Mm -hmm. It really sucks, but I love conventions. <laughs> what about Jens? Have you been to a convention? Uh, I went. I went to Chicago in December. That was my uh, first uh, first one back, and uh, it was it was it was healing to be in that space uh, for me. Uh, I, I remember there there was there was like an hour where a few of us were in front of Chris Claremont's table, and he was just sort of going on this grandiose rant. Uh, like he does. And I was just like, oh, I missed this. I missed this very much. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you, we'll get you back there, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, I, I was a couple weekends ago. I went to, you know, your, your typical dealer show, you know, hotel ballroom full of dollar books. That's the closest I've been. It, they're fun though. Got some weird ass stuff for dirt cheap which i always love I, i'm a i'm a dollar bin digger always have been <laughs> <sighs> so we did get a couple of uh twitter questions here that are, are all relevant to uh talking about uh pr uh so our friends uh last week's guest actually at uh, comic book couples counseling asked uh what is the most challenging aspect of your pr gig and uh, how do you manage it the most challenging aspect would have to be time management um, because it is all consuming and it never ends. Um, it's creating a space for myself and my job. I feel like a lot, of, I think I said this in the interview, that it runs synonymous in a lot of ways for me. Um, so I have to, uh, I, you know, it's all on my phone. I can do everything from my phone now. So if there's a hiccup, a mess up, I can fix it. No problem without even having to step in front of my laptop at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I prefer not to. So the way that I handle it is that I have a rule that I will put my phone down for 15 to 20 minutes at a time. Um, usually about 10 times a day, I try. That is the most you're going to get out of me. When I see my screen time is like gone down by 40%, that's never going to (laughs) happen. No, no, no. Um, And it's about just being aware of how much you are consumed by that. 
Mm -hmm. um, which I am kind of fully. So yeah, time management is a big thing. Do do you have, are you, are you, do you have those like screen time stats on your, on your phone to kind of keep, try to keep yourself honest or? Uh, on my laptop I do, and Hmm. it, it shuts down automatically. I can't get in at all after, Uh. you know, 12, 12 AM, um, on my phone though, because I consider it if an emergency happens, because I have clients in the UK, I have clients in New York, I have clients in New Zealand. So it changes. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I have to be aware if something happens, which luckily I have a vetting, I have a very strong vetting process now that um, I don't have to worry. Whereas I'm in a publisher, is somebody going to mess up somewhere? Somebody going to do something bad? No, because I've already talked to the people directly. Um, and I communicate with the creators, which is something they never let you do inside of a publisher. I don't know if you know that. Hmm. They never let you communicate with the creative teams ever. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then uh, James Ferguson asks, what makes a great uh, PR activation or coverage? What makes a great PR activation or coverage. Hi, James. Um, I would say one, definitely it's about timing. Uh, You have to be watching the news trends. Uh, You have to be spot on about your verbiage too. Mm. Um, The way that one, you're portraying somebody else's ideas and brand, which I call their brain babies. Like they're theirs, not yours. You are just utilizing the tools that you have to make it more eloquent and more palpable and easy to scan and uh, basically share. Mm -hmm. Those would be the top two things. Um, Yeah, I think that covers it, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, James also wanted to know who is the best Ninja Turtle. Well, I realized today all the Ninja Turtles are named after famous painters, which I never even noticed. Uh, everybody would say Michelangelo, I would think, you know, cause he's the party dude, he's um, the coolest. <laughs> but I have to go with Raphael cause he's a sarcastic bastard. Okay. All right. Cool, but rude. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that part. Huh? <laughs> the song's going on in my head now. Great. <laughs> Oh, man. I'll cry. I'll cry to that tonight instead of Mother Love Bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I there's uh, you know, there's one of those meme generators where you can just put a bunch of words into the the font of the old uh, Ninja Turtles show logo. But I, you know, I love the idea that there are certain things that, like, if you match the syllables one to one, you can just sing it in that cadence like apparently mighty morphin power rangers you can sing in the cadence of, of, of the ninja turtle uh theme song and it, it totally tracks oh my god you should make a whole youtube channel out of this it would be so viral i'll make a tiktok out of it no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> i went there <laughs> uh we'll, we'll get our oh, wow. we'll, we'll get our youth mentors to do it for us uh, <laughs> <laughs> That laugh just scared my cat. <laughs> oh. She's like, what the, what the hell was that? I'm going to go sit in your laptop now. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, one thing I was curious about, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've lived a lot of places. Do you have a, a favorite and least favorite city that you've lived in? Uh, 
Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, my favorite city that I'm actually living in now is Olympia, Washington. I love it. It is like, it's, it's so quaint and so pleasant and so stuck in 1990 that I'm, in heaven. I have a record store like a few blocks away. My comic shop is one block away and they carry mostly indie with like, they really love Fantagraphics there. Mm-hmm. And it is just, we have a hell of a time every time I hang out there. Um, a lot of music venues all within five, six, seven blocks. Um, it's really amazing. I love it. I absolutely adore it. Um, worst city I'd ever lived in has to be, hmm, house in mexico because i don't like that woo-woo shit um okay no it's it's so i no it, that's that's part of it um I, it's funny i was having this conversation over my uh valentine's day tacos and i said i felt really bad for the indigenous people that lived there and a cult you know they that was their land and these white assholes these white rich assholes come in and they have their private jets and their silicon faces and they're just dropping hatch green chilies on a burger and calling it taos <laughs> and it just really upset me it really upset me um it was just it was beautiful but it was a huge disappointment um and i i lasted three or four months maybe whoops <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um favorite tattoo favorite tattoo yes it was it uh, do i have a favorite tattoo i don't think so um but there has been one that i've been dying to give myself because i actually have a degree in tattooing from the state of oregon uh, which is a weird thing but it's a thing i've been wanting to put uh just a an outline of butthead on like, my like, leg. Like Beavis I, and? I, like Beavis and like butthead? Like Beavis and butthead, but, but just butthead. Just a huge ass butthead <laughs> on my leg. And I've been procrastinating it for about two or three weeks now. Now, yeah. why just butthead? <laughs> I had a huge crush on him. I don't know why. He kind of looked like my high school boyfriend. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I dated my high school boyfriend because he looked like butthead. Okay. So I just always had a thing for him. But did you hear that they're bringing it back and they're actually going to be of an of a certain age? Of a, of a certain age, like 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 middle age, like like yeah, our age. Yeah, like yeah, like wow, yeah. And they're going to be. I think they would probably be in their forties. Yeah, in their forties, oh, yeah, like early forties, maybe crazy. But they're told Mike Judge is totally bringing it back that way, and I'm super mm. stoked. So maybe if this the the normal butt head looks good, I can get the older butt head on the other side of my leg. <laughs> um, uh, daddy butt head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> daddy butt. That sounds like a really, really, really bad hardcore band. <laughs> I would listen to that band. <laughs> I saw Daddy Butthead hoping for a minor threat. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, please. But somebody, so I, I had an interview with somebody else uh, last week and they had asked me uh, what was my favorite tattoo. And I now remember, and I said, oh, I got it covered up. And they said, what was it? Is it my high school boyfriend's name? 
<laughs> and I got it when I was 25, which I thought it was a joke. Uh, I thought it was really funny. He probably didn't appreciate it. He doesn't know it exists, but he probably is going to know a lot more now and be scared to hell and probably get a restraining order. Um, but I said, oh, yeah, I should redo that, but I'll redo it in Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> it just says fun. Is it? Oh, Comic Sans. Oh, yeah, that'd be a really good tattoo. Like you get fun tattooed on Comic Sans in the inside of your lip or something. I don't know. Sorry, I'm going off the rails. Um, no uh, apologies. Uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, do you have pets? I do. I do. Uh, I've downsized. Okay. <laughs> I've recently downsized. I used to live on a, when I was healing, I lived on a farm. I had goats uh -huh. and I had chickens and um, I had a domesticated coyote as well. Um, wow. Now I only have a chihuahua and two cats. Uh, uh, so. Two points for Matt, one point for me. <laughs> <laughs> so cats and dog. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm the cat guy. He's the dog guy. And do you have a preference? It's like, do you think that cat people are better than dog people? No, no, no. It's no, just it's... what we have. Yeah. Oh. I, I have cats. He has dogs. I have nothing against dogs, nor does I believe Dan has anything against cats. Just, just an allergy, that's all. Right, exactly. And Just I, an allergy, nothing major. Yeah. yeah. And, and we just love cats. I would love to not love my cats because they keep me tethered, and I honestly have to pick up after these guys constantly. They're just scooting litter around the place, and the dog is tearing something up on the floor, and oh, I was like, oh, I love you, but I really don't, and I do, and I don't, because I just don't have to clean up after you, and I can't leave whenever I want to, mm -hmm. so that huge is disadvantage, but they're loving. I love waking up and not having to be alone. That is our first coyote, though. That one, that one goes up on the board for, yes, for, for first. Definitely does. <laughs> yep, domesticated coyote rescued from Hurricane Katrina. Oh wow! Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a fascinating story. Special dietary needs, or or just like dog no food? To total no dog food, but she was a total scavenger. Like every single oh. thing, every single thing you ate, she wanted to eat. She ate some weird stuff too. Loved tomatoes. What dog likes tomatoes? That's weird to me. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Tomato loving domesticated coyote. Episode title. Also oh. a possible band. <laughs> I was going to say. I was like, are that's they, too are long. That's an album up? name. <laughs> oh. Uh, Dan, I think we might need to get in on the battle of the band name. No, no, no. We're not stealing bits from Hub again. <laughs> See, there uh, are three band names that I really would have loved to use had any of my bands had been remotely successful. One would be Lackluster Mustard. Love it. Hot okay. Piss, so there's Hot Piss Cookie, which I think somebody stole. Um, and then there's Monkey Knife Fight, which I got from an episode of The Simpsons, so it's fine. Uh, yeah. Furious George. <laughs> Furious George. This this monkey's gonna need most of your skin. Oh. <laughs> it was the blurst of times. <laughs> stupid monkey. You stupid monkey. Uh, uh, 
I've always said that if I ever wrote my web memoir, it would be yet another in a series of indignities. The Whoa. Matthew Lasowitz story. <laughs> yes. Yes. By the way, of those three, my favorite is hot piss cookie. Just just in case <laughs> anyone was polling. <laughs> I don't, I'm telling you. Great band name. I think we need them in a, 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 on a double bill with homesick pilots. Homesick pilots? Ooh. So... Or air sick pilots. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, I like that. Because then they've already got those little bags in front of them. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. They're good to go. Yeah, they are good to go. <sighs> oh, man. Uh, so, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? What am I reading? I read a lot of comics. You know that? Um, <laughs> I imagine it comes with a job. I, it does come with a job. I read a lot of comics. Um, right now, um, that is on my, in my pile, my stack, I finally got around to reading Cuddles by Jen McPherson. And I worked on this Kickstarter campaign last year, and he was so kind to send me a copy, and I just fell in love with it fell in love with it um it's a really really great one if you can pick it up i think he just sells them direct um mm -hmm. i'm still working on culture corner by basil wolverton uh, i haven't made it through it's a really nice hardback um i just finished the broken land series and psychodrama illustrated mm. uh, from gilbert hernandez um yeah, that's that's the that's the vast majority of comics. I have a zine called Punk Flayed, <laughs> not Pink Floyd, Punk Flayed, cool. uh, that I'm trying to quite get through. Um, Cartoon Dialectics is another one I'm reading. See, I like always have a stockpile. Um, that's just comics, and right now I'm reading Hans Christian Andersen tales because uh, I'm doing research for the next book I'm writing about the the Michigas and the wrongness that Disney imposed on women and these false ideas of romance <laughs> because Hans Christian Andersen which I don't know if a lot of people know was queer and his uh, mm. Little Mermaid version uh, was actually an obeyed to his lover um, and she dies at the end spoiler alert and they treat her like crap <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so take that Disney so that's what I'm working on now yeah Hans Christian Andersen is good stuff really depressing very depressing what, what about you tell me something good Oh boy. Uh, I just, I just finished reading uh, Douglas Wokes, uh, all the Marvels where he spent like a year or two, like reading everything from fantastic four, number one to present. Uh, that was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think of what else, you know, I mean, otherwise it's, you know, regular current stuff. Yeah. I, I, Man, I know you've got a pile next to you. Oh, of course. I have giant piles next to me. Um, <laughs> actually, what I've been getting a kick out of recently, and it's just because it's kind of bizarre, this past year was the 80th anniversary of Archie. So they released a collection that's one story from every year of those 80 years. Hmm. So you're, and it's, it's done in reverse order. So I'm kind of watching the, devolution or evolution of Archie from end to beginning. It's just fascinating to watch one series trace that entire history of comics and how much and how little has changed in those weird 
little universe over 80 years. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's funny that you mentioned that I was talking to the Archie people today. <laughs> I, I was talking to the Archie people because they were they were talking about some amazing things. And it's like Archie's digest and their distribution methods and uh, just their solicitation timelines and all the things that they have going on at once and how it's crossed over to Hollywood with the success of Riverdale. And I was just like, floored. And it's still such a small company. Yeah. I think there are only 25 people in that company. And they are running a really well-oiled machine. It's impressive. Really impressive. Absolutely. Uh, well, Melissa, this has been a, a fantastic time. Uh, final question before we let you go. How can people follow you online and keep up with, with Heavy Metal Headbang and everything else that you have uh, going on? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Melissa Mazaris, no A. On <laughs> on the Melissa. Huh? Um, also, don't hide PR at don't hide PR on Twitter. Um, I don't use my uh, don't hide PR Instagram. I just refer to Twitter. I'm just like, go to Twitter. This is existing and it's fine. Um, also, like my website, don't hide PR.com. And that's just PR. And that's just like where, like, you're not going to find anything on me <laughs> unless you, you go to like Barnes and Noble or Amazon, or apparently it's like in Taiwan too. And all these weird countries I've never heard of. So it's kind of crazy to see my book pop up in those places. Uh, hi, how you doing people? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and heavy metal heading. I'm really excited about the audiobook. I am hoping that the files get approved by the masses that be at Amazon within the next 10 days. So it can just be live and ready to rock. Cause I will tell you that my producer, Jared Tallman, he is a brilliant human being and he did a wonderful job directing me. And it feels like it took on a whole new meaning once I had do it, had done that reading. So that would be like the ultimate, ultimate thing that I want to plug. Um, anything I got working on, uh, Nope. Uh, <laughs> just getting through the day. I have I have an event at Book Soup uh, in Hollywood on three eight, and then I'm going to be at Books with Pictures in Portland, Oregon on three eleven. And lo and behold, smack dab right in between that, this bitch is going to see Judas Priest. <laughs> Hooray! Perfect timing. <laughs> Hooray! So, oh. oh, it was not intentional. And also, I do want to let people know that next month is uh, Brain Injury Awareness Month. And I, I really encourage people to come to me with questions that they might have about head injuries or they have a loved one with a head injury and how to approach it um, with care and love and pragmatism and, you know, just kind of vent your frustrations. Because I get that a lot. And I'm totally okay with people coming to me and asking me questions. It doesn't insult me. If anything, I think it enhances people's understanding for me to be that advocate. Excellent. Well, uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a hell of a time. But now we're gonna have to get matching butthead tattoos. Or or maybe I just get Beavis. <laughs> oh then we have to be like BFFs. Can I get Daria? Yes. Yes, you oh can. I was actually gosh. just going to suggest yes. that. Uh, love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> and we'll listen to Mother Love Bone and Cry. The end. Mic drop done. No, just kidding. That's it for this week's show. 
As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, Chris is on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lasowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a $1 donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail from my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Cap herself from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that ad where they use the Silver Surfer to promote a jet ski giveaway. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.